Welcome to the Daughters Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Join us this season as the sisters, along with Father Harrison Eyre, explore what it means to live with a sacramental worldview. You can find out more about our work at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. I'm Sister Nancy Usselman and I'm here with Sister Teresa Lathia and Father Harrison Air. And how's everyone doing today? Doing good. All right. Yeah, it's nice and sunny. That's awesome. It was pouring rain, so I'll take the sun. We're always sunny in California. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry to just rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's 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 hot like other places, you know? Eternal places, even. (laughs) (laughs) Every state has its sins, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Oh, man. Well, this season, we have been tackling this most fascinating topics that are addressed in Father Harrison's new book, Mysterion, The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. And we have such great conversations these past weeks, and we're going to have a wonderful one today because this episode, we're talking about the Eucharistic liturgy and how the liturgy is our living out of Christ's life. This is going to be a wonderful episode, but as every episode, we start with something interesting, a funny story from the convent or the parish, but with the liturgy, right? It's sometimes it's the most solemn moments that become the funniest incidences, right? Does anybody have a funny story? Well, it's not, it's not so much funny as it is unique and weird. Um, (laughs) So I, I, I spent three and a half months in my first year of my priesthood up in Whitehorse in the Yukon. Uh, in the great, great north of, of Canada. And um, I was going, and so I, my job on the weekends was to go to different parishes, literally all over the territory to say Mass. That was, I, I saw pretty much the entire territory by the time I was done. And uh, I was going to uh, this little town, and uh, I get to the church, and I had wine with me, but I didn't have any hosts, because all the parishes had hosts, right? I get to this little church, and pretty much the only people who come to Mass is this one homeschooling family with five kids, because there's 30 people in the town, okay? <laughs> and and uh, um, so I get there, and there's no hosts. Oh, no. <laughs> and they're like, do you have any bread? Can you use any bread? I said, I can't use any bread, actually. It has to be a certain type for me to consecrate it. So the dad gets like this miner's light on his head, and, he, and there's this kind of storage unit at the back <laughs> with stuff just stacked everywhere. And he goes hunting. Maybe there's a package of hosts left over from a while ago or something like that. And he found some. Now, oh, wow. Jesus was very stale that day. Uh, <laughs> But it worked. Or I, I was in another parish and the, you know, you don't get there often enough. The sacramental wine bottle, we couldn't open the top because the sugars from the wine just got it like stuck. Now with wine, you can be a little bit more flexible. So someone actually had to went home and got their wine. And listen, in those times, the church provides. When you're in missionary territories like this, the church provides in these moments. So uh, we had to get Someone's, someone went home and got like a Chardonnay or whatever it was from the cupboard and, and we brought it over for wine so we could have mass. So it was just one of those like unique times like that we need those essential material things to have mass. You can't just 
put cookies on the altar or something like that. It's got to be, and it's not just any kind of bread. It's got to be a certain kind of bread with like no preservatives, <laughs> uh, unleavened, all that. F- it's f- wheat and water. So that was, uh, those were unique experiences up north. And it helps you realize that the church becomes flexible as much as she can be in those situations. Yeah, but also <laughs> that you need it. You need the material, the proper material. Mm, exactly. It's like, doesn't work. There's no mass. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I think it's funny. Sometimes in the liturgy, like I said, there was solemn moments or some of the solemn moments is funny little things had happened. And I was with my uh, sister and brother-in-law and oh, my nieces and nephews were all little. And one of them was only like a year old. And he was really fussy all during mass. And my sister's trying to deal with him in the pew there. And of course, we're close to the front of the church as always, you know, and and he's just like being really fussy. And we're at the penitential rite and the priest, you know, starts with the question. And he's going to do it like in Easter, you know, he's going to say the questions of the the um, sprinkling rite. And do you reject Satan? And my nephew is responding to my sister about something. And he goes, yes and he's yelling it through the whole church and everybody and the priest was like now that's the response i want to hear <laughs> from everybody but you know it's kind that's of funny great. when kids just respond that's awesome i love it i know isn't it great so we're going to be talking a lot about the liturgy today and how the liturgy is at the heart of our christian life and in the liturgy god draws us to himself in great intimacy, because we enter into communion with God, uh, with God and with one another in our worship of God through Christ, um, into Christ's paschal life, uh, the paschal mystery and his very life. And it's the liturgy where we enter into a sacramental worldview and where it's most tangibly experienced. And Father talks about this in his book. And Father Harrison, I, I was going to pull out all different kinds of quotes from it because I, I really love this part. <laughs> um, and I think this is something for us to maybe reflect on a lot today because, you know, actions in the liturgy can just be actions or we respond maybe without even thinking because maybe we just we go so often we may just kind of do it out of habit as opposed to really reflecting on the beauty and the gift that the liturgy is for us and as christians and father says okay this is one quote and i want you to what we can all comment about this but to be a christian is to live the mystery of christ in us And that is to be a sacrament. So the Christian is to live the mystery of Christ in us to be a sacrament. What does it mean to be a sacrament? Yeah, so this comes, this is a little, you could call it a little, a small poetic stretch, if you will, of Lumen Gentium's teaching on the church, right? The church is the universal sacrament of salvation this is this is her nature mission and role that and again a sacrament makes visible makes visible and present something that's invisible and mysterious and affects what it what it signifies so the christian individually shares in that work of the church and so if the church herself is a sacrament then we too as individual christians share in that kind of sacramentality which means that in our bodies like I mean, Paul, he loves that, right? I Mm -hmm. I live in my body the death of Jesus, Mm -hmm. so the life of Jesus may be seen through me. 
he recognizes that's sacramentality. That, that's, that's living the sacramental vision of life that I see that my embodied existence, who I am as a human person, man, is meant to manifest Jesus, but also make a f- present, is effective, saving mystery to the world. Amen. And, you know, you talked about that. We talked about this in several episodes ago about creation being the presence of God for us, you know, being that mm-hmm. that mediation for us of God's grace. Well, even we are, the human beings are the epitome of God's creation uh, because Christ becoming human, being the incarnation, gives us a certain elevation of our bodies because Christ became incarnate in, in mm-hmm. a body. And mm-hmm. that's the gift that we can be. We can be a sacrament for others. We can be Christ's presence for others. I love that prayer of St. Teresa of Avila when she says, uh, I'm called to be Christ's hands and feet for the world. Um, there's no body other than my body of, that Christ uses to communicate uh, the message of Christ for the world. And, and that's that's such a beautiful uh, reflection. I don't know if we think about that often. And I know I don't think mm-hmm. about it often enough that I am, I, I am Christ's presence for the world. And it's not something we always have to like, intentionally keep in mind, right? It's something that's always, like, this is the other beauty of it. It's always at work through us. Mm-hmm. Always. Because of our baptism. The grace is always at work. Our, our Christian identity is always meant to in many manifest and mysterious ways to make Christ present to others and to be an opportunity to evoke grace and response to grace in the lives of others. So, you know, just doing uh, the the duties around the house or or talking to our, or, you know, you, you, you just, you see someone on the street and you want to, I like the phrase, like affirm their being Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, the goodness that they are is these are small ways that, that happens, and we may not even intentionally think, I am being a sacramentist person right now. You don't need to think that, right? right. <laughs> it's always there. It's, it's just meant to be the heart and the soul of the activity of our lives. That is worth mm-hmm. reflecting on once in a while to draw us back into, to remind us that this is, to. it becomes an examination of conscience, if you will, mm-hmm. to draw us back into the mission that we're always meant to live. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and she's she's a saint that has all of her writings go back to the indwelling presence of, of the Trinity within us mm-hmm. through baptism. And she's one who, it wasn't something that like wasn't ever not on her mind. She was just constantly meditating on the indwelling presence and kind of you see this in the, in the language of the mystic of the mystics in general, just kind of withdrawing within your soul to that baptismal presence of God and becoming aware of that baptismal presence of God. And for me, that has been, that helps me to remember that I am a sacrament because I forget that a lot. I feel like, (laughs) I mean, obviously I don't have to be remembering it in order for it to be a reality, but I, I very often can act in such a way that is not conducive to that reality you know mm-hmm. that happens so often where I'm acting in a certain way and and then when you remember that you have the trinity dwelling within you <laughs> through your baptism it's kind of uh, that's a real examination of conscience for me <laughs> yes. because it just yeah. makes me feel like wow I was definitely not acting in a way that was proper to that reality and isn't that like there's two things with this first it's is this is something I, I brought up in another little small book I wrote 
about the pandemic. Like this is, you know, when we were feared, oh, wait, we didn't have the sacraments. I'm like, well, no, no, no. The Trinity always dwells with you through baptism. That that is a sacrament that is always at work in you, mm-hmm. and that's a and that that was a great comfort to me this past year. Mm-hmm. Actually, I mean, okay, I I get it. I'm a priest. I uh, I'm never far away from the mass. I, I don't I didn't have to go through that kind of suffering that I know a lot of people had to go through. But that was still a real comfort for me. That and I I know a lot of people found comfort in that too. And and not just that, like the sacraments don't just you don't just receive it and it stops. It's the same thing with the Eucharist. Like you don't receive it and that's grace is gone after fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like no no it's there. Jesus doesn't just give himself to you a little bit. He gives his whole self to be with you forever. Um, but secondly, then if the Trinity is indwelling in you, then there is always this kind of affirmative love of God in us mm-hmm. always. And that's like that's part of it that when you realize you are always beloved. Yes. You are always cherished and desired by God, but that he is always enacting this love in you, mm-hmm. regardless of how you respond. Mm-hmm. I mean, go to confession. We do not always respond well. Right. God is continuing to love us, which is right. like amazing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But the essence of the liturgy is also that it is communal. There is a reason why we come together to worship God. And I think that's that's kind of what we were missing in this past this pandemic year, um, receiving the Eucharist of Jesus, yet the, the presence, the body, blood of Christ. But we were also missing that communal sense. And the liturgy by essence is communal. And it's a feast. It's a gathering of people. It's it's where we come together to celebrate this mystery of Christ's life in us together, not only individually, but together. And um, we talk about this. We talk about feast days and, you know, the feasts and what is a feast and why do we celebrate feasts? Um, we do that secularly. I mean, we celebrate, you know, feasts certain holidays and, you know, memorial days and whatever days, you know, as, as a society. But liturgically, as a church, we come together and celebrate these feasts every day in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And this feast, and you mentioned, well, what do, what do we actually say when we come together and we celebrate? Well, we have food, friendship, and leisure or, or you know, mm-hmm. you know, or some kind of feasting, right? We're coming together and yeah. feasting. And yeah. And we love to, I, I mean, I love to create feasts in community. And the great thing about being in the convent is wherever we are, in whichever convent we're in, is that when we celebrate the liturgical feasts, everybody participates. Like all the sisters do one part of it. You know, one may prepare the prayers for our morning prayer. Another uh, bakes some awesome dessert. Another one creates this beautiful meal. Another decorates the table. I mean, we we celebrate feasts. We like to celebrate feasts. And and it's kind of this coming together of all these different gifts. Well, that's what the liturgical feast, right, is about. And there's no, I've never experienced anybody celebrate the liturgical feast better than female religious communities. <laughs> you guys know how to party with those. It's really, no, it's really beautiful. Like I'm always, like when I, when I spent my years to missionaries at Cherry, the way they would spend the time decorating their chapel, especially for Marian yes. feast days, right? Yes. Or Easter or whatever. And it's, and these aren't, and like this missionaries at Charity, they take a very strict vow of poverty. Like they're cutting up pieces of like parchment paper to decorate things and mm-hmm. getting religious images from catalogs to paste to make the, to beautify things and doing their own art because they don't buy anything really. Um, yeah. it is, it was just, 
I'm like, man, like you guys know how to celebrate. This is this is amazing, and it's something we don't do well as Catholics. I think sometimes, mm. generally as a church, it's something we could learn a lot from the religious communities on. It's mm-hmm. kind of funny, but you know, um, I I was making one time I was making a crown for to do to, to a May crowning of the Blessed Mother on our feast of the Queen of Apostles. That's the the what we celebrate as daughters of Saint Paul. And so I was laboring, I was layering over this little crown, this tiny little thing, and with little bud roses. And I was like, oh. And one of our friends walks in the back of our book center, and she sees me doing this, and she goes. You know, you could have told me I could have just bought them from the florist and they would have made the crown. I say, no, that's okay. It's part of it is that I, I want to do this for Mary. <laughs> I want to make this happen just because I, I think she sees my offering as I'm laboring yeah. over this little bitty bud roses. <laughs> um, but I wanted to do that as a special gift for her, you yeah. know, and, and yeah, it, yeah. It, we, we could have just bought it. But yeah. somehow it, it means something more uh, when we do it. You see that ritual in families, too, when when parents really bring the liturgy into the house and create mm-hmm. rituals around things. It just creates this, this beautiful inculcation of the faith in children. I know that that was the case with mm-hmm. me when, when I was growing up. Um, but you make a really good point, Father Harrison, that... Um, it's not actually that people don't like liturgy because people or ritual, they mm-hmm. there's ritual everywhere. everywhere. We're, we're ritualistic beings. Like we're just naturally mm-hmm. going to gravitate towards ritual, whether it's religious or not. But when people are kind of against religious ritual, they're really against religious ritual. (laughs) And it's funny because very often I see in my friends' lives who kind of reject religion, some other ritual takes over. I have a friend who's really into football, American football. Mm -hmm. And it's so like the intensity with which he is into it is very religious to me. (laughs) And and everything about Mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of it. Just the like wearing certain things, like certain days are reserved for this time. Like mm-hmm. it's communal. You're with eating certain people, food. eating certain foods. Right. I mean, it's just very obvious to me what's going on there. But it's interesting that people don't see that very often. They let, like, they reject the religious r- ritual, but then other rituals are totally fine and they're that's totally acceptable to them. It's interesting, isn't it? Because even in like the movie industry, there are rituals. When you go into a theater, it's so tempting not to genuflect because that's what we tend to do when we go into a pew. Well, you know, it's like you go into a, a, a theater and you're there with a bunch of other people experiencing the same thing. It's like, yeah, they're rituals to our entertainment lives. Yeah. So what about you go to a sporting event? They sing the and then you go to uh, you go to sporting events. It's the singing of the national anthem, right? right? Right. Uh, often they like to honor service members. Um, right. There's different games and stuff, mm-hmm. and 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 this is all very well worked. Like, um, I'm a big hockey fan, obviously, and um, <laughs> I still remember the first year the Vegas Knights came into the league, and I was amazed at the amount of ritual that I mean, this is Vegas. They know how to well plan everything for entertainment, but it's about because dr- the whole point of all the entertainment they're doing is to draw the crowd into the one experience of being an energy push for your team and it was very um it was a really impressive thing to see but i'm like every time i see it i'm just like this is ritual or i remember when i actually was the mcs uh i went down to san jose because i was in 
in near San Francisco. I went down to San Jose because the Canucks were playing the Sharks in the playoffs. And at the beginning of the game, everybody's doing the shark hands thing uh, before the game started. And and everyone's razzing me because I'm wearing a Canucks jersey. It's like, I'm like, but this is all part of the ritual. And, like, and as you know, going into enemy territory, you have to receive that and you have to do it in good fun, right? Um, but that's all ritual. And I think the difference is this is something that one, like, so in those like kind of secular rituals, generally, these are things people have kind of given their free assent to be a part of, mm-hmm. right? While I think for whatever reason, people don't feel that same way towards Catholic liturgy. It's something that's kind of, they get often, it's something forced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's sometimes it, it is, it's, it's celebrated either. It, it I mean, we can, yeah, I gotta, we can go into all sorts of areas with this, but I think that's that's often it because it, it, but it only feels that way because you don't have a relationship with the community and the person or group that you're orienting your ritual around. Well, like, why, why do I'm doing this? Because that's what you do. I love my sports team, or I love my you know political right. party, or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm doing these things because of my deep love and passion and dedication to this thing. Right. Well, if you don't have that for God or for Christ then you're going to feel the same way. Like, uh, I bet you, I bet you, I bet if we went to a Boston Bruins game, Sister Teresa mm-hmm. would act very differently than Sister Helena. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be right? reading because, a book. <laughs> right. You'd be like, this is stupid. I don't want to be here. <laughs> but Sister Helena would be like, yes. And she'd be wearing a Boston jersey and she'd be like high-fiving people and, yeah. you know, gently chirping at the other team. <laughs> It's because your love and passion, and that's fine. Your love and passion is not there. And I think that's one of the reasons people are very resistant to religious ritual. It's not that they're against ritual. It's just they don't have, they haven't encountered the love that helps them to see it. This is a ritual that gives life. And actually a 20-something year old uh, young woman said to me once, she goes, "I I just don't get anything out of it. And so I responded, well, well, what do you put into it? What do we put into it? Because we're putting so much into these experiences of, of you know, sports and movies and entertainment. Well, what do we put into our religious ritual? And, and I think that's the question. You know, when you talk about it's not an individualistic experience and you talk about almost as spiritual narcissism, <laughs> it's not just about us. It's a communal. It's about bringing together people in unity and communion. That's what the Eucharist is, is bringing us together in sanctity, but also affects the whole church's unity and communion. And and that's uh, something I, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Big Night with Tony Shalhoub and, uh, and Stanley Tucci. Have you ever seen? Oh, wow. Okay, this is back to food movies because I totally love food movies, but... <laughs> Um, this takes place. This movie takes place in 1950s New Jersey, and it's two brothers, Primo and Secundo, <laughs> who open an Italian restaurant. And of course, there's an Italian rival restaurant right across the street, and who's getting all the business, and they're not getting anything. And so they're kind of wondering, what are they going to do? Well, one last ditch effort, they do this spectacular, amazing masterpiece of a feast, and nobody comes except their few family and friends, you know, that are there. And it becomes the one big night. But what they recognize 
is it becomes a very sacramental moment because at some point he says, you know, to eat good food is to be close to God. <laughs> to eat good food is to be close to God. And that whole experience of the around the table and the gathering, they didn't almost care if like the restaurant was going to close anymore. It became a way of coming together in unity and communion with one another. And the two brothers were fighting at this before this. And so, but they reconciled at the moment of that feast. It was, it was just a really reflective Eucharistic sacramental moment in that movie. But, but it's even more real in the liturgy for us. <laughs> yeah. I think what's difficult for me though, is that very often in attending mass in different circumstances, I felt like it's almost like you just brought a bunch of aliens to a football game and sat them down and had them watch it. Like they're not going to cheer. They're not going to know the rules. They're not going to understand what's happening. And I feel sometimes like I'm in a church full of people like that who really are not involved, who are not interested and um, I remember right after my conversion, at, when I first started going to mass, I would go to masses like that and I would just want to like run around and shake people <laughs> like it was it was so um, disturbing to me because I could tell that something was not computing, something was not connecting. And how could I help these people to understand that like Jesus, like Jesus was going to come to us in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Like that is super exciting. But people very often who go to mass are not super excited, like not nearly as excited as people at football games. Um, I remember I would drive up to go to adoration and I would get this sense like, I better hurry up because a lot of people are going to go because this is like, I'm going to go see Jesus. And then I'd pull up and nobody would be there. And I would think, oh yeah, nobody cares. And you know, it's just like, why don't people care? Why don't people um, have the excitement and the participation? And the Because I think if they went to a mass where everyone had that sense of community, like they were there, not just for themselves, but for everyone. And they had this kind of openness to not only to receive Jesus, to, but to receive everyone around them. I think that would help other people to enter into this reality of the liturgy. But very often, I think people are kind of standing outside of it. Why do you guys think that is? And what can people in ministry or people who care about these things do about it? Again, we have to do a better job as a church to help people fall in love with Jesus Christ uh, through his church. Um, I, my experience as a pastor is that a lot of people, listen, a lot of people go to church not because of Jesus, but because of the community or, or other things. And, and those can be in sometimes. Like it's not, you know, people are at different stages. It's not a bad thing. But at the same time, like, I think it's because I find actually sometimes the most evangelical moments. I don't get to do a ton of weddings in my diocese because we're largely retirement diocese, maybe weddings every year. And I did a, I preached at a friend's, some friend's wedding a few years ago, and they're both very practicing Catholics. Those are, so that's one of my favorite things to do as a priest is when they're both like passionately into their faith Catholics, because do you know who comes to those masses? Catholics who love their faith and love the mass and love the Eucharist. And it's always something amazing to hear amen and the alleluia and the responses said with almost like a gusto, like mm -hmm. 200 people at a wedding who are all saying the responses is often more powerful than a thousand people at a mass kind of mumbling uh, with your spirit. 
Mm-hmm. Or, or and also with you. Oh, I mean, with your spirit. Oh, you haven't been here for a while, have you? Um, you know. <laughs> but you know, it, it really don't it, be so obvious, often, right? <laughs> yeah, but what happens often is that that's actually something that like because they're like, wow, like some perhaps they're agnostic or they're lapsed. Then they're at the wedding for whatever reason, and they're like, they're amazed to see young people there who mm-hmm. love the Eucharist, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh my, and and it really often proposes a question to mm-hmm. them. Because the supernatural reality is made more present through our full participation right. in it, you right. know? Right. And, but it's a, it's a hard thing. You know, there's that famous phrase, the church is here comes everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and it's weird because like I've actually, this is my pastoral heart that's kind of grown a little softer on this question. Because it's the question I've always asked myself as a, as a priest. And as I said, oh no, when you're a seminarian, you know all the answers. And you know exactly what's going to happen to fix the church. And then you enter into parishes and you realize you're pretty powerless to change a lot of things. But what happens with changes is like, I've often found that maybe they're not into it, not because they don't love Christ, but they're grieving the loss of a family member or they're struggling in their relationship with God because they can't find him, but they still go struggling and hoping. And, and so you'll realize as a priest that even sometimes the unenthusiastic attendance of some people is still a heart searching for God. Yeah. And the church has to be a place for that too, because maybe someone who's entering in for the first time might be turned off by the gusto, woo, Jesus enthusiasm, mm-hmm. and see the person in tears in the pews just struggling to feel God once in their life. Mm-hmm. And they might relate more to that than the other thing, right? And so someone who's willingly entering into their weakness in that also does something, I think. It's just, it's not, you know, it's, uh, but you're right. There's also apathy. There's right. absolutely um, apathy. Oh, there is. Yeah. And, and some demons are only cast out through feast, fasting and penance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think there is so much because there is a need, a constant need for catechesis and evangelization, which go hand in hand uh, because evangelization is about catechesis. Uh, we do that well in many, in many parishes about with the RCIA programs, you know, with the catechumens, we teach them and have a liturgical catechesis where we're really explaining the liturgy before, during, and after receiving of the sacraments. But um, mm-hmm. but sometimes I think, you know, what happens is people who have been Catholic or been baptized since they're babies and, you know, they go through their catechesis, but they kind of leave it off at a third grade level and forget about it, you know, and, and then they go to mass, but don't really know what is happening. And and I think that's a challenge of evangelization. It's like we have to evangelize within the church as well as outside the church, right? We got to bring people who are, don't have any faith experience, but also those who do, and to realiven uh, the faith of those who are in the church. Uh, and, and that's, I think, bringing them to appreciate and understand, understand, first of all, what is happening in the liturgy. Because the liturgy, everything is there. It, it's there theologically. It's there um you know, ecclesially and social, everything, but society is there. It's all present within the liturgy. Um, and it's really just a sharing that and talking about it and really preaching about it, proclaiming it um, as the beauty that it is, the gift that it is. And it's a real, like, and this is part of it. it and it kind of speaks to the theme we've been speaking about in this podcast constantly. I think part of it is people don't realize that Again, for me, it was a real eye-opener to realize everything the church does is to orient orient us towards and to facilitate 
the, uh, a realization and an appreciation of the fact that we participate in Christ. Mm-hmm. This is the heart of the Christian life. We are in Christ. And so the liturgy is meant to make that most real to us. And so it's about the church, like presenting liturgy, I think it's like, so it needs like dynamic preaching. It needs, but not preaching. That's like, I don't know. Not like I've heard many canned homilies in my life. Yeah. Not showbody, but also not like canned homilies. Yeah. yeah. Some obscure quote from some random poet who I've never heard of before. I can, I can always tell a canned homily from a site somewhere because I'm like, but that doesn't speak to the heart, Mm -hmm. right? We need to speak to the heart. And so liturgy, the music needs to evoke the heart. Um, it needs the prayers need to evoke the heart the preaching needs to elicit the questions of the heart the environment needs to be beautiful too beautiful right and i think one of the obstacles that and it's a hard one to get across because it kind of infected even our view of liturgy for a while and this gets to sisters nancy's point earlier where she mentioned leisure because this is such an important part of it in a way and i say this kind of poetically the liturgy is useless, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And by this, I mean, there is not meant to be some pragmatic effect mm-hmm. of it where it's no, it's a pure gift to be received, delighted in, and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about creating and manufacturing all sorts of things to make it more encounterable, but rather it's a place to go to be. We mm-hmm. do not know how to be anymore. We've talked about before the lack of silence, et cetera. And so when we don't, the, the, the liturgy is meant to facilitate that and to reconnect us to that like kind of fundamental experience of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And that Marian stance to receive what God wants to give us that he, in fact, delights in us. Yes. The liturgy is not about doing, going and doing. It's about going and being mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. entering into that Marian stance to receive what God wants to give us, which is himself. Yeah. And there is, and when you can enter into that spirit, which requires a deep life of reflection, that's when you start to see, wait, Jesus is coming. He's condescending. He's coming down to be with me, to lift me up into the Trinitarian life right now here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> It's so difficult for us to enter into that mindset, though. And I mean, speaking from personal experience, it can be so difficult not to reduce the sacraments to like a certain amount of grace that you're going to receive. And um, even like a, I, I, I got this sense with the with COVID and people missing mass. They, it was almost like they were adding up the days that they were missing the Eucharist. And that was adding up the grace that they were missing somehow. We kind of think that way. I mean, I, I, I found myself thinking that way when I came back to the church. I thought, oh, my gosh, I've missed this many masses as an atheist. Like, I got to make it up in some way because it's like it's this quantitative modern way of thinking about everything and so it's hard, I think, to go to mass and to just receive, but not to know exactly what you've received totally. You know, I mean, I received Jesus in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, but like how much grace did he give me in this mass? I don't know. Like if he could give you himself. Yeah. That's all that matters. It's everything. <laughs> it's the whole of Jesus. Everything we ever needed is in one host but we like to kind of analyze things like that because we want like a product you know and well this is kind of the reason i tried to avoid the like and i was very appreciative when you guys helped propose the title you avoided like 
you know, 10 ways to enter more deeply into the set. Cause I, I, I really, I really resist this pragmatic approach because I think mm-hmm. it's actually been detrimental to our life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying pragmatic stuff isn't worth doing, but we need to kind of reemphasize this reflective receptivity where mm-hmm. there is no quantification to be at play here. What happens at Mass is Jesus offers his whole self to the Father. And we, the church, his body is lifted up into his worship of the Father on the cross. He gives us literally the life of God. There is no quantification in that because God is infinite. You can't quantify it. And I, I, because I agree with you, sister, I've seen priests, I've I've said 25,000 Masses or whatever in my life. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't care. I don't care because it's like, the mass is the mass is the mass. Right. And it's like, it's the one sacrifice right. made present here now for this place, this time to draw this place and time up into God's mm-hmm. eternal love. Exactly. And when we can start, and like, it's good, like even talking with us, it's, it's like, oh yeah, this is what we do. Because listen, as a priest who celebrates mass every yes. day, I mean, most days, there's the odd day it gets missed for whatever reason, but it's because we're not, it's funny, little side note for those who don't know, we are required to pray the breviary every day. We are not required to say mass every day. Um <laughs> Um, but we just, you know, you sometimes travel or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, we, it's, you know, there are those days where we're like, oh. yeah, <laughs> but love goes even when it doesn't want to, you know? Yes. And that's the point. It's like, cause there are days where I'm just like, I'm too tired, Lord. You gotta, you gotta do this for me. And he does. I mean, this is, and this is the beautiful thing. It's that phrase like ex opera operato out of the work work. Yes. It's, it has nothing to do with the priest's effectiveness or his holiness or anything. Right. God does the work despite the weakness of the priest. So there are days where I've said mass and I know my homily wasn't great or I know I was probably rushing through things and I probably wasn't in the right headspace sometimes. Mm-hmm. God did the work and I showed up so he could do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for that. It also like takes a lot of pressure off of you as a priest because you're just like, I mean, you got to be careful to not get too lazy with that. But like, okay, God's, God's, God's in charge. Yeah. He can take care of this. The liturgy is like, like you said, the perfect and pure gift every time we receive, you know, we go there and we receive. Uh, But, you know, for our pragmatic world, um, there is the call as a result of the liturgy to go forth and be love, as you Mm -hmm. said, Father, is to go forth Mm -hmm. and be love for the world. Well, that's the call to be evangelizers. That's what our baptismal call is about. So if we want to be pragmatic about something, well, that's what we're going to be pragmatic about. Is it now at the very end of Mass, what do you say, Father? Go forth, the Mass is ended. Mass is ended. And go in peace. Go. Go. And Get lost. Go and, and communicate the gospel. <laughs> go and preach. Go, yes. go and be the gospel. So we're actually yeah. being sent forth to be evangelizers and to be Christ's life for the world. Yeah. It's a little, I mean, I know it's cliche and I know it was kind of used in the eighties and nineties. I don't, I would never say it at mass. I don't quite like it, but I get the spirit and message behind it. It was like the mass has never ended. It's meant to be lived. I, I never kind of like that because it's no, yeah. the mass is done. Like we literally just finished it. Right. But this, this idea that what you have participated in and received and have been lifted mm-hmm. up to now, Christ wants to live that mission that he has kind of done in a concrete way in your life through mass he now wants that to be the heart and soul of your activity during the week right. and in your life and in your encounters with others. Mm-hmm. And the call to be proclaimers of the gospel in your everyday life, that comes from Vatican II, uh, you know, which calls to the laity, not only priests and religious and bishops, but to the laity. Every single person has this call to go forth 
and be the gospel in the world, to be the presence and to preach the gospel in the world. And one of the most seminal documents, I think, of the church is Pope Paul VI, Evangelii Nunciandi, which is all about evangelization and the call for every person. And it's the essential call of the church. It's the essential call of the baptized to preach the gospel. And, and it may not mean that you're going to stand in a you know, street corner and start, you know, holding up signs, you know, Jesus saves and start preaching to everybody goes by or, you know, with your Bible. Like, but it is in how you love. It's how we treat other human beings. It's how we um, are the presence of Christ in the simple ways, in the everyday experiences. I, I always love that phrase from Paul VI. The church, by her nature, is missionary. Yes, that's right. Which means, again, what is the church but his members and the saints mm-hmm. and Christ himself, obviously. But, well, which means the saints are on mission. Jesus is on mission. Yes. Well, his body's on mission, too. It's, right. it's at the very nature. It's what it means to be church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the heart of our activity. And it's something like, I still feel like it's the, we like, I feel still feel like we do a lot of talking about the new evangelization. Yeah. <laughs> But I still feel like it's just all that we've done. And I've, I still feel like it's one of those hidden things from the council and from Paul VI's teaching mm-hmm. and magisterium that still hasn't been like unpacked. Mm-hmm. Well, you talk about this a lot in your podcast, Clearly Speaking, Father Harrison, that like evangelization becomes programmatic for a lot of people. Like you go to this program and you figure out mm-hmm. how to share the share Jesus with others. And instead of really focusing on personal holiness and how that is is an evangelization to people who are away from the church which i think is the most important Mm -hmm. thing and it's kind of my hope this is one of my hopes of this book is that like uh one of my friends who's been reading it as it for review he said this is he said this is mystagogy and mystagogy is that time after baptism where we deep go deeper into the mystery of what you've received Mm -hmm. what you've received through initiation I thought that's actually a great describer of what the point of this book is. So when you enter into mystagogy, you're entering into the deeper mysteries of the life of Christ and, mm-hmm. and living it as a Christian. And when you do that, it just naturally effuses into mission. You don't need a program, but by coming to a deeper understanding of what you believe, mm-hmm. you are now mm-hmm. equipped to go and give it a reason for the hope that is within St. Peter loves to say, it's one of my favorite phrases, right? Go give a reason for the hope that you have. It's it's that's the whole point of this book is to help you come to a deeper understanding of what we participate in, how to give some basic answers to people who have questions around those hesitancies that we all hear all the time. So that in falling in love with Jesus in a deeper way and entering more deeply into his mystery, you will naturally draw people through your words and actions, mm-hmm. life with him mm-hmm. as well. And that's the beauty of, of the gift of the Eucharist and Jesus coming to us in, in, mm-hmm. this, in, in the liturgy. It says we are sent forth to go and be his presence for others. And uh, that's the joy of the gospel as Pope Francis talks about, that's the joy of us communicating. And, and not just that we're out there preaching, but that we're living it. We're, we feel it. We know it within our very being. Like it's mm-hmm. in our core. And, mm-hmm. and that's the call. That, that's the need for catechesis is, is, to help, is to help our Catholics really to see that beauty in the liturgy, to see that in your core you are the presence of Christ. 
and this is feeding your soul so you can go forth and be that and be Christ for others. So um, that's the beauty of this liturgy. And I think, you know, so much of what you wrote about is, is how we are that sacramental presence in the world is that, and mm -hmm. it's through evangelization. And I think that's a really wonderful way because the next section you're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about is about prayer, but also discipleship and how we are living this life of Christ in our lives. So, um, yeah, so as we come to a close in this wonderful conversation on the liturgy, um, I thought I would actually close with this prayer um, on living the gospel. And it's from our prayer book, Live Christ, Give Christ, Prayers for the New Evangelization, um, also available on the paulinestore.com, which is where Father's Book also is. <laughs> And this, this prayer is called Living the Gospel. It's written by one of our sisters. And so let us pray. Jesus, Master, we feel the challenge to dwell in you so as to grasp your love for the Father and for all humanity. We want to respond with hearts just like yours to every person's need for salvation. You are our Eucharistic source of life, our nourishment, and the secret to holiness. We know that we will find in you, Jesus, a love that urges us to make a gift of ourselves and that prepares us to embrace every new path that may lead to announcing the gospel. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we want to thank you all so much for joining us as we reflected on this gift of the liturgy in our lives. And our, like I said, the next episode, we're going to be talking about prayer and discipleship. So be sure to join us for the next episodes. We look forward to connecting with all of you again next week here at the Daughters Project Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless you. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a fruit of the Daughters Project. This initiative of the Daughters of St. Paul to spread the gospel online is made possible by our generous Patreon supporters. Consider joining us in our mission by contributing to Patreon today. You can find us at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. God bless you.